Welcome to Transit Matters, episode 5. Uh, we're the, the bi-weekly source for transportation news, analysis, and interviews, and more. Um, we focus on sustainable transportation planning, operations policies in Boston and beyond. And uh, we have, there's uh, four of us in the room today. Uh, I'm Jeremy Mendelson, a uh, geographer and uh, transit planner. I'm Mark Ibunya, and um, I, I'm uh, one of the primary writers on the blog here. I'm Josh Fairchild. I'm a lawyer who works in commercial real estate and mostly just a transit enthusiast. And my name is Matthew Danish, and I'm a writer on the blog Walking Bostonian. It's good cool. to have you here. Yeah, it's good to have Matt here. I'm really excited about this. Um, you know, we got a lot of great stuff to talk about, and uh, we've been wanting to have you on the show for quite a while. Yeah, it's good to be here. So I guess we'll start off with news here. Uh, <laughs> uh, the fact that um, we've got a few big things going on here. Uh, the Mass Pike Straightening and West Station, which actually finally got funding a few weeks ago, uh, well, uh, a few months ago at this point, um, the fact that uh, West Station is uh, actually on the board now and that money has been uh, pulled out of the governor's office, I believe, to to actually make that go through. And the fact that a basically a whole new neighborhood is going to be built over there uh, at the, um, the, what is it, the Beacon Beacon Yards uh, that was formerly owned by uh, by CSX. Um, so new street grid, a whole bunch of new stuff. Um, and actually, uh, that leads us into the conversation about back to DMUs, diesel multiple units. So those, those are the things that you keep hearing about, um, about the line that will be going out uh, that they've committed to to build uh, DMU service all the way out to the Seaport District and connect that to Back Bay and likewise uh, to West Station and um, what was it, uh, the uh, Beacon, uh, no, no, uh, the, the New Balance. Um, the New Balance uh, Station. Yeah, New Balance. <laughs> we're not going to give that free, free to them, but uh, obviously they've paid for the station, so I guess they could call as, it that. As it has been commonly referred to. Uh, <laughs> I believe they're calling it Boston Landing. Boston, Boston Landing, that's right, that's yes, right, yes. 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 So Boston, the Boston Landing Station, those are, those are all going to be part of actually a really long-term plan that the, uh, the T has for DMU service that's, that's near rapid transit levels of frequency. Uh, for commuter rail lines uh, and stations that are close into Boston, um, and then that also kind of segues into the fact that we we um, we have uh, Weld and Dukakis, uh, former Governor Dukakis, um, who are now promoting North, the North South Rail Link, uh, which is kind of I want to say that's somewhat in opposition to the South Station expansion. What, would you, what do you guys say? Um, I, I mean, that, capacity that's, issues? I, I, I've read that, and I don't know how true this is, I, I think that I read on Pedestrian Observ Observations blog that the South Station expansion would um, make it impossible to do the North-South Rail. Um, like, I'm not sure if that's true, but that's what I've read. Why? I don't. I don't even know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that would. If it would just be the the, the investment would almost. It's almost okay. either or politically maybe. Yes, either or politically. But that's 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 how that would work. Because in general, you would have. Um, it, it, you you can actually eke out more capacity out of fewer platforms with through routing, and that's something that pedestrian observations is uh, loves to talk about. Yeah. Um, and actually, you and a Freemark um, has has written all about different systems who have gained 
efficiency from through routing. In particular, you know, you've got New York City, you've got, you've got uh, Metro North, New Jersey Transit, Long Island Railroad, all coming through Penn Station and different stations in, in New York, but uh, the service doesn't go through. I think the only service that they've had so far that goes through is a train that goes to, uh, what is it, the, whatever the football stadium Giant is, stadium. Yeah, in, Meadowlands, in the Meadowlands uh, from Connecticut, and that's a New Jersey Transit service, and it's the only one that's been Yeah, you're totally right. Alan Levy's done several great analyses of how many platforms are really needed, and he shows that oftentimes it's maybe a you know a half as many, yeah, which right. is what would happen with this North South Rail Link project. And he a lot of times like in New York, he talks about if the administrative agencies would would cooperate, <laughs> then that would help that. But he's saying here we, we would gain capacity that we would would not need as many platforms. And we have the luxury of not having a North Station South Station, two different agencies working, you know, in uh, not competition, but I guess who would have to work in concert to make that happen. Um, but yeah, so those those two competing things. I know, as far as I know, the South Station. Oh, actually, the South Station expansion uh, draft environmental uh, review um, has actually been published, and that was sent out recently. So um, that was a big document, and they're they're doing a study of what ha- what would happen to the uh, to the surrounding area if the the post office was removed, more tracks added, and then development put on top. And, and in the news last month was that they still have failed to come to an agreement between the post office and the state. That's or right. Mascot. Yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, very briefly pointing to the fact that uh, Dukakis um, is promoting this as if it would be, I guess they're pitching it as if it would be uh, something feasible for the Olympics, and we talked about how um, that... Even if the Olympics did happen, um, because we backburnered it and a lot of the engineering got you know pushed off the table, um, there is going to be a lot of spool up time to get the project back on, um, and I think it would be disingenuous to um, to promise this for the Olympics because also it's not just the uh, North South Rail Link, but also the the electrification that would be required, and especially the new equipment that would be required to run that. Uh, run commuter rail service, uh, even Amtrak through uh, through the North South Rail Link, because you can't have diesel under there unless you want to kill everybody with uh, fumes. So it sounds like maybe yes, maybe we're, we're <laughs> worse th- than back pay. It sounds like maybe we're thinking in the room that even though this this almost press release type uh, article that we saw in the Globe was uh, was was more, even though it was in the same breath, maybe has a lot of coverage about what was possible for. Uh, infrastructure improvements for Boston 2024, it really seems to be more of we're trying at the time of an election. Um, we have a Republican and Democratic former governor. We're trying to get this back on uh, on people's radar, maybe. Right. That absolutely. might be what this was all about. And then, yeah, having have get drumming up the political support for that to, to happen and for that to be on the radar uh, and not just leaving it at okay, we'll expand capacity at South Station. That solves all our problems because it's not going to solve our problems. Uh, it's, not, it's definitely not going to solve Boston's problems um, through at least the second half of this century, which is, you know, a long way off. But you have to these, – these projects start I – mean, I mean, it's possible that the, the sea level will rise enough that Boston will be all underwater by the right. end. So in which case, we might be thinking about yeah. canal systems. So, <laughs> And as of today, don't forget to let people know that you're going to be meeting them at the Governor Michael S. Dukakis South Station Transportation Center. Um, if you can say that all in a breath. That's what it's called. It was named after him. Yeah, I think that was today that they uh, officially put the plaque up right. on the building, renaming it that. And, and of course, uh, uh, you know, former Governor Dukakis said, I don't think anybody's going to call it that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
There's been many service expansions that have been announced recently. Um, Jeremy, do you want to uh, mention some of those quickly? Yeah, sure. We can talk about these. These are uh, commuter rail expansions. Um, and uh, so we'll be talking about the restoration of the old of uh, the old Colony commuter rail weekend service, or at least just Saturday, I believe. I'm not sure if it's all weekend or just Saturday. Um, it was also Saturday for the Needham Line. I think you're right. right. It's and Saturday, Saturday for the Needham Line, right. Um, so, and, and it says that, there's a quote that I pulled out from one of the representatives. I didn't write down which one. Um, this is only, quote, this is only a trial program, and we want to make sure that our constituents utilize it to its full potential so that it becomes self-sustaining. Which makes me wonder if, you know, this is really going to be more than a pilot. Um, I have mixed feelings about this. I tend to feel like a lot of commuter rail is kind of the way we run it. You know, we run these full train sets on the weekends, and, you know, I kind of feel like a lot of this is, is wasted. Maybe we should look at, you know, buses or some other things to kind of fill in these to serve these areas rather than the traditional, you know, parking lot oriented, like giant train coming through and, you know, but um, it's, it's good, I guess, if you, uh, if you live out there. It's uh, Representative Vinny De Macedo, if, that, if he's your representative. Uh, give kudos because that is, um, that is what they want. They, that's an open invitation for you to say something to your representative and say, we really love this and we would love for the state to find money for this because... Uh, that's the thing that I keep hearing from rep- state representatives is that, uh, yes, we'd love to fund this, but we need people to speak out and say that they're in support of this because, um, I guess, oddly enough, they don't want to act without undue uh, representation of their, uh, <laughs> uh, of their constituents. They want to so. be, be pulled to this, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and I, I, you know, I think, Jeremy, what, what you're getting at is a lot of the ways that our commuter rail uh, is set up doesn't really uh, lend itself to, to transit usage in the way that we think of uh, mass transit. It seems to really be more, we call it a commuter, line, commuter rail line, that really it really is just for commuters, it seems like. And hopefully the expansion of the Fairmount line service and the, the movement towards the Indigo line, hopefully that will uh, get us more towards thinking about uh, commuter rail lines and the possibilities of them being true you know, mass transit. Yeah, Which, I started to mention the Fairmount line, and that's um, the um, hourly weekend service is starting uh, November second, the end of November. Sorry, um, and you know th- this is good because you know the Fairmount line. I think we've talked about this before. Uh, this is you know provides important service to to the neighborhood. Um, the two dollar fare is being made permanent, so that's good. You still don't get a transfer to the subway downtown, so maybe that's a. No, I don't understand why is that because isn't is that not? Do they not consider that Zone One A and Zone One A has it is, free transfer? It is technically a Zone One A. I believe if you buy a Zone One A, that entitles you also to a link pass. But it does. They are the yes. same cost. Right. So I guess technically, if you just buy a link pass, uh, it's the the problem is you end up with when you buy Zone One A um, until they uh, redo the entire fare system. You have to use a ticket, uh, so if you buy a link pass on your Charlie card, it's not the same. So well, you still get the you still get the pass included. What, what it is is that if you buy, if you pay cash, you don't get a transfer. Oh, you don't get it. Whereas you have a if you have a monthly link pass on the Charlie card that most of us in bus and subway are familiar with, right? Uh, you don't get you can't use that on the commuter rail because they don't have that was Charlie card phase they two don't have readers, when they were so. supposed to get the readers yeah. and they've acknowledged that they're not ever going to do that. Right. I did learn recently when I had guests in town uh, and I was trying to explain things to them. I did some research and, and learned that. So the, the, the monthly commuter rail zone 1A gets you all of the, the link pass as well as it, it works the same as the weekly or daily link passes yes. if you were to buy the ticket as opposed to uh, the Charlie card. Form. Yes, so. except it's a ticket. 
So, exactly. <laughs> so is that what we're saying? Are we saying if you buy, if you simply buy the one, if you pay two dollars for a one-way fare, is that the issue where there's no transfer? Is that right? Okay, understood. When I, actually, when I read that, I, I thought, really? Hourly service on the weekend? That's all we're at is hourly? I thought yes. we would have already been there. That's so. what we're, we're running now uh, midday. You know, that's what they've gotten to the, okay. the point. It's, it's like every 45 minutes, I think, in peak, yes. and every hour midday, and then, um, which is, you know, an expansion over, over past levels, but it still leaves a lot to be desired. Um, and obviously, integration with buses and everything is, is really needed. Right. And another big thing about uh, as part of that Fairmount line development, um, as of September, I believe September 20th or something like that, there was a, meet, a uh, Blue Hill Avenue design station meeting. So that's definitely going forward. Um, it will have no property takings. Um, there's, they're definitely leaning towards a center platform for that, and that would be placed between... What is that? Uh, it's near Mattapan, not too far from yeah, Mattapan. It looks like between Blue Hill Avenue and, what is it, Cummins Highway or something like I think that? It's Cummins Highway. It's I, like think, a, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah Cummins Highway there. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's been a controversial thing in the community. I don't, I don't remember why some people in the community don't want that. I don't, I don't think it. It's typical NIMBY stuff. I think it might be something else. They I, I were concerned about the noise. It, it oh, is. Okay. It's, it's a combination. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that there's. There's issues, right, exactly, with people who are abutters being concerned about noise, just like any other community in the country, you yep. deal with these issues. And I think there's also definitely an issue of being concerned about increased transit into the neighborhood. Even though they want it, they're concerned about gentrification is the next step. And then that's an that, that's tar- entirely different subject right. about um, development, but I think that also folds into the parking issue. We, right. we Boston, uh, Mayor Walsh needs to... He's, he's doing a great job right now, um, but I think we're going to have to definitely step up um, our efforts with uh, the BRA to, to make that not an issue or not a concern. And definitely more community outreach to, to, to stop that being a, a reason why the neighborhood blocks improvements to their own, you know, things that would be good for them. Um, being able to uh, give those improvements and let, make sure that people can stay in the neighborhoods that, they, uh, that they're in. I think he's definitely the type of mayor to to be successful in that type of appeal. I know we've got several hubway um, and, and bicycle-related updates. Mm-hmm. What, do you, yep. what do you have, Jeremy? Speaking of improvements. <laughs> yeah, well, so hubway, a couple things going on at hubway, and uh, somebody who uh, works at hubway sometimes, um, I should say that, that uh, should put that out there so people know that. Um, uh, the winter season is going to be a little bit more service in the winter this year. Uh, Cambridge is going again um, all winter. They have some more stations, and also Boston has committed to go until December 1st with fewer stations than they have now, but um, I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like. I don't even think the operator knows what stations are going to be. The city's kind of going back and forth. You say Boston um, has committed? To, until December 1st. Okay. So, um, okay, extension. It, 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 still, it, it still looks like it could happen next year that the whole thing would go year-round, but it's it's been a, a struggle so far. Um so I'm not uh, not gonna promise that. <laughs> without without too much in depth, um, yeah. what operationally has this been something that's been really difficult to roll out last year in the in the first year? No, so so the issues are you talking about the issues with winter operation. Um, there's obviously snow clearance is somewhat of a concern, but um, you know people know how to kind of deal with that thing, and um, you know you just have some staff, you know, <laughs> you give them shovels. Um, usage levels go down. So what cities like Montreal have done is they've scaled the system down. They've kept it open, but they've removed some stations in difficult areas for snow clearance. That's a, it's a big problem is snow clearance, um, you know, plowing and such. Um, so the, what Montreal has done is they've 
they've kind of removed some stations and they've cut back others. Like they maybe say they cut the station by like a third. Um, so it is it is doable, uh, but it's um, you know obviously the usage drops, so there's there's revenue issues as well in right. terms of paying for the operation. Right. Um, and then you know a lot of it comes down to politics. That if people want it, it can be done. Right. Um, other hubway stuff. Um, yeah. So the operator, the the company who is operating hubway on behalf of the city. Uh, a lot of people don't realize it's Hubway is owned by a partnership of the four cities: uh, Brookline, Somerville, Cambridge, and Boston. And it's uh, it's operated by you know the rebalancing and, and bike repair and everything is operated by a company called All the Bicycle Share. No longer. Which was just recently <laughs> sold to uh, I forget what it's called. To be honest. Um, <laughs> I can look that up real quick. But we know that um, we know that the CEO of this company is uh, Jay Walder. Mm-hmm. He's now Jay Walder. Yes, he's the Jay Walder. If people know uh, about transit, he's been in charge of multiple transit agencies, including New York's. Um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what's in store for that. Um, so far, it doesn't look like anything's changing right now. Through and through, he is uh, he is a transit guy. He um, he helped it, he helped some push some really really uh, uh, important uh, service changes in uh, in. Uh, London and um, was probably one of the more uh, interesting CEOs to have run the uh, the MTA in a long time. So just good because it's. Uh, do you guys use Hubway at all? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. okay. So we all use Hubway. Um, I I personally I think of Hubway as a as a public transit system. You know, or yes. a component of the transit system, and I think there's a lot of potential for. Uh, better integration. Yeah. It solves the last mile problem in yeah. a lot of cases. It, ex- it, ex- it ex- expands the system in a way that it, I think was almost unimaginable a few years ago before we implemented this. Oh, well, blandly enough, uh, <laughs> I wish this was a more interesting name, but they've been acquired <laughs> by Bike Share Holdings LLC, uh, and they'll be relocating from Portland to New York City, where Jay Wilder will be back. So, from, uh, from Hong Well, that Kong. made sense, because New York City now has probably the, the most right, the largest stations in yeah. the entire world. Of that. So, okay. um, and so they'll, uh, that'll be interesting to see. Um, did, anyone, did anyone have anything to say about the uh, Governor's Highway Safety Association uh, safety report, bicycle safety report that came out <laughs> last week? Was that last week or the week before? Yeah, this was, it was this the report that, that um, I think you sent me this, this was about... Um, Basically, a report showing that cycling fatalities or injuries have risen, and it, it, from what I can tell, it made no mention of the fact that hey, cycling numbers have also gone up. So therefore, as a percentage, it's uh, actually gone down. But it made no mention of that, and it said uh, it, it uh, oh, yes. derided drunk bicycling and uh, you know biking without a helmet and you know things that are just kind of that sorry. was a that was a big um, <laughs> big article. I remember cross, that crossing my RSS feed mm-hmm. uh, from uh, the Atlantic's City Lab blog. Um, titled "Does Cycling Culture Have a Drinking Problem?" I, I like to think that City Lab usually goes pretty in depth in their articles, but sometimes their articles, they're they're really starting to go with uh, they're falling falling into BuzzFeed's habits of, you know, um, does cycling, you know, this shocking this this fact will shock you about cycling, mm. and as it turns out. It's some really kind of obvious statement about no, of course not. <laughs> well, and I think one of the one of the upsetting things uh, for for bicycle advocates with this report was that you know, the Governor's Highway Safety Association. Um, this was an opportunity, I think, at a high level, uh, people who um, you know have um, power um, to to nudge uh, highway departments. Um, you know, putting out this report and. Unfortunately, it came down on the wrong side of what we were hoping to see. It's the so. it's the governor's highway safety. Assistance. Right. Well, exactly. And I so. yeah. And you know, as as we you know, many states are are getting away from having highway departments and more towards transportation departments. Yep. 
Um, but this is, you know, definitely the, the the fight in the press goes on. I think uh, over these these issues. So. There was a discussion, I think, of this article in um, an NPR maybe a week ago. Um, the Diane Reem show, which um, I I think she's fine, but I just can't stand her voice, and I never listen. But I forced <laughs> myself to listen to it because um, it, you know, it was an interesting topic. And they had a bunch of people on, and and um, you know, and they had a, they had a good discussion. So if anybody's interested. This topic further, you know, check yeah. that out. I found I found the shows easier to listen to at uh, two times speed. Um, <laughs> maybe this show also. I don't know. So um, <laughs> yeah, you, so, everybody's listening to two yeah. times speed. Let us and I hope and I hope Matt, you're going to feel free to, to jump in on yeah. any of these topics. Yeah. But um, you know, the next one that came up was that you know we we saw an article a couple weeks ago uh, in the Globe and saw it some other places also about. Um, the new South Boston Waterfront Sustainable Transportation Plan. I call it new. I'm sure it's been a work in progress for quite a while. Um, and there were several proposals of short, mid, and, and probably even long-term um, transportation solutions in South Boston. Um, I think, uh, I'll get your guys' input, I think a lot of what I saw was really um, trying to push to get different roads open and things like that, and less of it was... Um, I, th- I didn't think as much of it was uh, as much comprehensive transportation as I was wanting to see, but w- what did you all think? Well... Um, I've been going to the meetings, and as it turns out, um, I, one of my criticisms is that they, they didn't lead with a vision. Um, so that's kind of led to the neighborhood kind of nitpicking small things here and there, as opposed to like a comprehensive, how do we fix the grid? How do we, we they effectively have a grid over there in, in uh, the waterfront, but how, how do we improve this? Um, and uh, it was interesting what the, con- the different concerns was uh, were between when they held the meeting at District Hall um, in the quote-unquote innovation district itself uh, versus um, an elementary school where they went over the, basically the same presentation, um, but actually inside the uh, uh, traditional South Boston neighborhood. So uh, my, I think my biggest concern, and I think I mentioned this last time we, we, talked, we touched on this issue, um, is the fact that... Uh, the capacity, the transit capacity is there, and there's also plenty of sidewalk capacity for, or, or roadway capacity for dedicated cycle tracks um, and shared bus lanes. Uh, and more particularly, we we have Massport, Massport and MassDOT participating in this project, um, taking a significant lead as, as um, forward-thinking state agencies, um, and yet I'm not seeing any suggestion that they're, they're even planning on bringing over this, the shuttle consolidation, which has gone, which has actually been excellent for the airport. Um, I mean, granted that that was facilitated by the, the CONRAC, the Consolidated Rental Facility, to uh, let all of the, to to abolish all of the rental car agencies from having their own shuttles and clogging up the curb space curbside uh, at the terminals. But that's a major thing: is having having more consolidated buses because effectively the, the the private shuttles move as many people during rush hour as the tra- as the public transit buses. And um, one other in- issue that I've I've been hearing um, is that uh, some of the some of the companies that were previously suburban and have moved to the waterfront are still bringing their leanings towards making sure that their car-oriented commuters are still able to park and drive and do as they wish. I, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. And, and the issue is that, um, yes, Massport, uh, I think, would have a lot of um, uh, leverage in this, in this discussion. But I think, you know, the people who are making the seaport happen are the companies that are doing these build-to-suit office buildings and who are taking up all the space and bringing their employees. 
And what I've heard, and I, I attended actually um, a uh, kind of a meet and greet where one of the de- one of the developers, um, I won't have to go into any names. I, I think he's probably representative though. One of the developers who's done many buildings, um, been there for probably twenty years doing buildings uh, in the seaport, and he talked about the transportation issues. And I, you know, I listened right in and only mentioned uh, car issues and road issues. Never said a single thing about buses. A silver line extension, other transit options, and so I was really surprised that somebody who has been developing buildings in the seaport um, and was talking about marketing them to uh, millennials and others that we know are interested in, in transit didn't even make a single mention of that. So I, I think you're exactly right about it's the companies who are there don't have that mentality, and they're and they're participating very very uh, closely in this process. Um, I mean, they're they're basically the stakeholders. With the most money to to have to buy into this, uh, not to not to say that the the South Boston residents don't have a say, but uh, this traditional South Boston resi- neighborhood isn't quite uh, in the scope here. So really, what they're asking for is per- their permission to do these these changes. As kind of uh, you know, we we need your blessing because we're going to do this anyway. Um, but whatever this plan is, uh, it's it's kind of looking like a wash. I, I want to say that it's. You know, it's signal timing changes here and there, kind of like the the back bay traffic signal retiming, which uh, we which we <laughs> had as a bullet item here, but kind of skipped over. Uh, where even even there, the city of Boston is unfortunately kind of doing a disservice to Mayor Menino's legacy by by their goals and their benefits listed on their on their website as being reducing driver delays, reducing travel times, which could be multiple users, but uh, vehicular emissions and fuel consumption and vehicle crashes. Um, and exactly what I was going to say. It's all it's all about car. You know, how do we make it better for cars? Yeah. I do feel like the, the biggest, um, the, the, the splashiest headlines are about whether or not they're going to open, you know, the postal road that's there right, the, uh, yep. and, and the other, um, the commercial truck road, whether that's going to be open and things like that, so... Yeah, the, the the big headlining topic isn't oh we're we're going to build a cycle track to let people bike from uh, to to let I guess convention goers bike safely on Summer Street from downtown where all of their trains are coming from if they're coming from the Back Bay um, to go to the BCEC or the World Trade or the Seaport Center or you know that, that that being said you know Matt go ahead I don't know. Well, I feel that, I, if I could speak to a bunch of things here, um, the seaport is unfortunately a victim of poor urban planning, yes. and its geography is not very good for transit. South Boston has always had that problem because it's not on the way to anything else. It's a cul-de-sac. <laughs> and so... Um, Be on the way, as Jared Walker said. So. Yeah, as Jared Walker would say, definitely. Um, so you get this auto-oriented uh, idea start you start out with this 1990s auto-oriented idea and then they built these large blocks very wide streets and as a result it's not a very nice place to walk around a lot of parking lots some of them have been filled in it's true but now they're going to build i believe it was a 1300 car garage or more that's the ca- that's the capacity for parking that they're allowed to build in the area which is coming down from 4000 surface parking lots yes. um, at the beginning of this decade unfortunately the only way they're going to do anything about congestion is by getting rid of the cars really <laughs> we're getting get, reducing the number of cars so that people who actually do need to drive in there are the able trucks. to uh, so the silver line as we all know is not Working And what's funny about the area is that it has really great highway access, which is one of the reasons why people drive. But the Silver Line doesn't get to enjoy that 
access very well because it has to go on these looping ramps. It's an issue that's often forgotten, and it takes forever. And then when you're when you're coming from South Station, the tunnels are honestly horrible. the The bus can't go more than ten miles an hour, not even. It's almost faster for if it was going on the surface, which is kind of sad for something that costs about six hundred million dollars to build. So, so what are your thoughts on the, uh, the tunneling under D Street? I believe that we at this point we just need to implement signal priority. Maybe sometime in the future. A tunnel would make sense, but it sounds like a very expensive proposition. What are we talking about? Is it going to tunneling all the way down D Street? Well, right, right now the Silver Line goes above um, above yeah. ground, right before D Street. It has a way to the stop sign, and oh, then stop the light, and then it goes across, and then it switches from uh, high, or electric to, to diesel, and you have to wait for all those things. So I often, I almost, I must have bad luck because I always get caught for the full ninety seconds at. D Street, and statistically, you're more likely to. <laughs> I started timing it actually, yeah. and uh, it's just unbelievable to me that that hasn't been fixed yet. That, that's the the first thing to do. Right. Absolutely. Okay, so that's that's a no brainer. We don't know if it's gonna, you know, it's it's not necessarily a, a huge big picture solution, but it's definitely a no brainer. Oh yeah. I, every time I'm down there, I was walking around there uh, yesterday um, and today actually. Every time I'm down there, I, I think well. Thank goodness at least we have the bike share that has so many stations down here. It seems to me like one of the best things that's happened. Well, I think this in the last is year. this is one of the things I used to think about with Hubway a lot. You know, I would I would often find myself in sitting in the gridlock in Seaport District trying to basically what's going on here is the the two I, I, I don't know if it's D two but at least two of the most popular trips uh, numbers wise from for Hubway are uh, going from North Station like taking the train in North Station in the morning getting a bike and going down to the Seaport District. Uh, and the other one is North Station over to Kendall, and then, you know there's others that are going to Longwood as well as a, a big one. But North Station um, to Kendall, really? Wow. But <laughs> two, those are two spot, two trips that are served very poorly by transit. Transit is slow. It's infrequent. Um, Another no-brainer. The buses yeah, should be so going every two minutes during rush so hour. In a, in a vacuum, right. somebody will fill in, and that's what right. some of the private carriers have done. So right. Well, so these these uh, employee shuttles have, have yes popped up exactly. But, every time uh, I've tried to take, is it the four? I always get confused with the four, with four well, and the seven. You're thinking. I don't know which one you're thinking about. The seven. <laughs> the seven goes down yeah. uh, Summer Street, but it does not connect with North Station. Every time yeah, I try to take a bus right? down yeah. down Atlantic into the seaport yeah. or something like yeah. that, four. I always look at the schedule and say, "Well, I'll just walk." You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think that's that's what could come up of Hubway and I'm interested to see what's what we can get right. coming out of that because you know we talk about integration with public transit and also seeing Hubway trips and what people are doing on Hubway as uh, these are the deficiencies and the opportunities right. with the transit system if a if a link pass could entitle you to also a monthly Hubway subscription I mean you know just well, saying that's a good because ultimately at the end of the day like you can have you know right now there's probably like I don't know somewhere between like one and Two hundred or so people that, that are able to do that hubway trip, right? But you only have so many bicycles. You know, you get space fifty That's bicycles in North Station. Like, you know, even if you got up to a thousand bicycles, it would still be more demand. So, you know, ultimately, like this is why we have mass transit to move large numbers right. of people in a small number yes. of vehicles. That's right. why I'm right. still holding out my, oh, yeah. my hope, and I really want to push this concept of a of a of a circulator. I I, I know it's like a this tr- this transit trope, the circulator, but it's. Um, I always think of Miami in the '80s or something. Like that. <laughs> Whenever somebody uh, says it, it, well, definitely not a, definitely not a people mover. Um, not not some downtown uh, downtown uh, Detroit or Miami uh, mm-hmm. boondoggle. Not to say that Miami doesn't act, the people mover doesn't actually move people. Nowadays it does, um, but 
yeah, just simply having a very visible transit uh, connector that does more to connect those those trips uh, with North Station that the Silver Line cannot do. Yep. So. Well, we spent a lot of time on, on South Boston. <laughs> we, I, I did want to say, you know, the thing that struck me absolutely the most when I, when I was reading about um, this was the director of the, um, the convention center um, was adamant saying that, you know, the, was, is it track 41 or 51? 61. 61. <laughs> <laughs> just keep, just keep crashing it <laughs> Yeah, exactly. 71, 81. So he was adamant. And what, what he said was interesting, though, that wasn't something I had heard before, was he said that he was adamant about taking rail all the way to the waterfront. He said he didn't want it to stop at the convention center. And they, they weren't specific about where on the waterfront it was going to go to. And I thought that was very interesting. And that was probably the most... Um, probably the terminal building or something. Right. Yeah. Well, it was the one thing that, that I heard said that was not car-related that I thought, well, that might actually happen. Um, was there any thoughts in the room about um, that? Anybody else see that? Has anybody else heard the anything else about that? The track 61 thing is a pipe dream, as far as I'm concerned. Let's just, I just want to just clarify for people, uh, this is the track that runs from Back Bay... Goes up uh, through the through on Google Maps. You can see it. It runs north, like next to, like parallel to like the bypass road. Well, and it, after so, after going around Leverett Circle, is that what it's called? In a very no, circular like fashion. It's, um, by Andrew, close to Andrew Square. I'll try to include an image of that on our yeah. <laughs> on the post here. Although, I mean, Rich Davy before he stepped down in October on October thirty first, he did say that um, it was not a pipe dream. <laughs> but uh, so there's definitely going to be some dueling over that, I guess. Apparently, he was a pipe dream. <laughs> so well, I'll just say that the. The plan that they circulated last year, or I can't remember how long ago now, um, it involved a train, they wanted to make it a DMU, running from Back Bay area, maybe Back Bay Station, across every single south side commuter rail and Amtrak line, and then at grade, and, <laughs> right, right. and then going up this single track spur that next has never been used. South Boston Bypass Road. At right least next to it. in the modern era. And, oh. Yeah, and so I... At the same time, they want to expand service into South Station, and Amtrak has very clear goals about improving service as well. And I, I am quite confident that Amtrak is not at all happy about the idea of some kind of uh, little dinky DMU crossing paths with their high-speed rail trains. Well, and, and, and to coordinate, I mean, I, was, I remember trying to do the math at one point when they were talking about this last year, about how frequently these DMUs would have to be running, and it's a single track, and... And how all that would work at yeah. the same time as what you're talking about, all the coordination of crossing all these tracks. So yeah. it makes it does make me wonder politically what's happening that we have prominent people saying this will happen and this is a priority, and then we have so many transit uh, operational um, and planning experts saying this is a kind of a crazy idea. So yeah. it makes me wonder what exactly the calculation is about <laughs> taking stands on this. At, yeah, at what point can you at what point can you say if there's a will, there's a way, but no way is that will. What makes me wonder be? what a lot of times <laughs> when we say these things, there's a compromise in the works, and I'm wondering right. what's the thing that they say. Well, we couldn't get that, but we got this, and I'm I'm wondering what is that thing that's going to be unveiled at some point. So um, there's a comparison down in New Jersey where it appears that. Governor Christie had promised a path extension to United Airlines, one, the, just a half a mile extension of path oh, that right, would yeah. cost $1.5 billion, right. <laughs> and everyone was saying this is a terrible idea, it's not the right way to do things, but all of a sudden when United backed out of their end of the deal, then Christie seems to have dropped it as well. So this might be just one of the, an instance of political uh, right. 
quid pro quo. Right, yep. Because, uh, I mean, that's coming from the same governor who said, well, I don't want, I don't want New Jersey to be stuck with the, you know, the, the losing, quote-unquote, losing side of the deal for one of the most important infrastructure capacity projects, uh, talking about the Arc Tunnel, um, if you want to look that up. Yeah, coming from a guy, Governor Christie, who's like, his, his whole thing is about his political corruption, and now he's, he's like, oh, I want to get a good deal. Yeah. Mm, yes. So before we move on from this, the only other thing I wanted, wanted to say, and I don't want to uh, instigate any discussion, but maybe tab this for, for future, was one of the other uh, uh, things that was discussed in, in the South Boston plan was about uh, ferries. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> not the kind that fly around, you know, but the, the boats that we do have, Inner Harbor Ferry and things like that. And I also heard that discussed last year. Uh, somebody brought up the idea of ferries uh, shuttling people across uh, the Charles River between MIT and the Back Bay. Um, people said that wasn't going to happen because with the rowers and the wakes and things like that. Um, and then I also saw that there was there was an announcement that the Lynn Ferry, um, which was run uh, this summer as a test, was extremely successful, and they're talking about expanding it for next summer. So when I read articles like that about ferries, we don't I don't really see a lot of discussion about that in transit circles. So I would like to maybe spend some time discussing ferries in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, do they distract us from nope. you know rail and bus and things like that? Are, are they are they a positive the, uh, thing? The Lynn so. Ferry was not a success. <laughs> <laughs> they reported it as a success, but if you look at the numbers. They said 11,000 riders through September. Now, I had nothing to, to gauge that by. The operating costs but. are something like $18. I, I divided it out at some point. It was something like $18 per ride. It's unbelievably inefficient. And and that's on top of the fare. So um, it's just it's, it's actually not a very good idea. Plus, it doesn't really help people who are transit dependent because the, uh, the Lynn uh, Ferry Dock is in a far location from the buses mm-hmm. and from the community. And another problem with the Lynn uh, ferry that I've been told is that it's very actually actually very difficult to navigate through Lynn Harbor, and that's why they had a couple of high-profile um, problems where they got stuck on a sandbar and had to be rescued. Well... For seven dollars, that's it. Can well, cost seven dollars too. I, I, I would, I would love to hear more about more about this in the future. For I, sure, I feel like um, ferries can be a distraction, yeah. yep. and that's why if you have a road or a rail connection, there general there's a reason why they dug the tunnels under the rivers in many places because just, it's much better. I'll just say this real quick: is that a lot of time I think ferry is kind of like what light rail can be in a lot of places. With DMU sort of becoming, it's like a buzzword. Um, you know, we need to think about what we need to accomplish before we think about what mode or what technology is best to accomplish right. that. And a ferry may be the best way, but... What is our goal? What, what are, are we, we trying, trying to achieve? achieve? Yeah. 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 Great. Um, so um, moving on towards the end of our, you know, discussion of uh, what's been in the news... Um, was of course uh, for anybody who was asleep, you know, um, Republican, <laughs> you must Charlie, have been really deep Republican Charlie Baker was elected um, last week, and um, you know the interesting thing is that he was supported strongly by uh, the business community, who has openly stated that they want um, the state government to find a way to improve uh, infrastructure, specifically transportation infrastructure, um, to keep this economy going and to uh, allow them to you know take it even even further. Um, and he, at the same time as he was receiving that support, was saying, and he said in the debate that he wasn't gonna, didn't want to raise taxes. He didn't take the promise. He didn't take the pledge, the no taxes pledge, but he said he wasn't going to raise taxes or raise fees um, because that's what um, Governor Romney had done was raised a bunch of fees to get around that promise. And so he, he also said he would not raise fees. So um, what, what are the thoughts about that does anybody want to discuss that at all i am dubious because transportation infrastructure can mean a lot of things is it is that is that car 
preference over transit, and then more particularly, and then kind of segueing into the repeal of uh, the repeal of the gas tax indexing. Yes. Is this an East versus Western Massachusetts uh, partisan issue? Like, will is is he um, going to try to curry more favor from um, Western Massachusetts, who I have friends who were more than happy to say that question one should have been uh, what they 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 voted for question one to pass and um, that um, that will be interesting to see how he develops. As a quick reminder, question one was, um, it was if you voted for it, which it did pass, was to repeal the indexing of the gas tax. Um, and a lot of people said on principle that they believed that the legislators should have to um, vote, vote every, every time we want to raise it. Is, can I, I believe that is pure bullshit. There are other taxes. <laughs> I have, I've had this discussion. Uh, I think you can have your principles yeah. or you can have yeah. transportation yeah. infrastructure. Just stand yeah. for something. Don't be like, well, we want to hold them to account. We want to have to show them to – because, first of all, it's not going to happen. Every, they're not going to sit down every year. How long did it take them to, to take to this To do the first time okay. last year. And then, yeah, and then it's just like, oh, you, you want to – do you believe in it or not? Like, come on. Right. Because the, I mean, I guess their 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 uh, stance is: if it's on the table, I will vote against it, be- or I will vote for it because I want, I don't want quote unquote taxation without representation. Um, and and then when you when I've mentioned, oh, there are other taxes that are percentage based and that go up every single year. Uh, they're the in dollar amounts, um, and uh, you know they've said that they're opposed to that too, but it just wasn't simply on the tables. Well, I think it's always easy to uh, vote to repeal a tax. Um, Easier to vote know, to repeal but, a tax. But I think we should point out, you know, the the measure, uh, the question did fail in Boston. Um, and, uh, you know, when I, when I read uh, Paul McMorrow's piece in, in, in The Globe today, his, his column talking about, hey, there's a ray of sunlight here. And I was really gratified because in our last show we discussed about how um, things need to get more local and to the extent that um, um, our polarized politics nationally and even as we see, you know, in this state, um, rural versus suburban versus urban, rural versus urban, east versus west, um, even as we see that it's difficult to raise the, the revenues that we need for transit, um, uh, Paul McMorrow points out that um, this is an opportunity for uh, local uh, improvement taxes um, yes. to, to fill this in. And, uh, you know, it seems like it, the, the, measure did get, the measure did get voted down in Boston. So it seems like the, the city, the urban area, is, is definitely willing um, to foot the bill for what they want in terms of transit. I, I want to... Uh, if since we voted that down, I want to see on the on the pol- in the political arena the the resur- a, a, a uh, resurgence of a discussion about um, congestion pricing. We need. Uh, he, Paul McMorrow's talked about this before. I think he mentioned. I think he actually talked about it in a 2011 article. But um, this needs to be a thing we talk about, and we need to talk about it because. Uh, if you're not going to pay for if, – if, if we're still divided on the privacy issues around a vehicle miles traveled tax uh, and, and re- repealing the gas tax and turning, turning driving into a, a full-on 100 percent user-based fee – which is, I think, what some conservatives and liberals are more, uh, not liberals, but more conservatives and uh, libertarians, libertarians are more yep. interested in, then, uh, then we also need to have a congestion pricing uh, discussion because, uh, again, kind of 
easing into talking about the legacy of Mayor Menino, um, he declared outright that the car is not king in Boston. We do not need to be accommodating cars more. We've done that for decades, and we need to actually start making these people, uh, if you want to drive in the city of Boston, then you better pay for it. Um, and I'm pretty sure that politically there are ways that we can discount that for people who must drive in the city of Boston, like uh, truck drivers and and uh, all of these other places, but because uh, those those are going to be the first people who are going to uh, who are going to shout it against that. Oh, I I must do this for work. So, you know, where's but I my... think I think also it, what's important is to target the funding. You know, and I yes. feel like a lot of this was just was, oh, but, you know, I don't want to pay more. And it's you know, it's very it's always very easy to vote against taxes when you don't see you know the impact and the impact being something that you benefit from i think it will take a a, a bridge collapse for something to happen so i mean maybe you know it also the approach to it is, is you know maybe we just split off this you know they always try to throw roads into it to try to you know appease all those people who drive cars but it's like well you know what if we just take that out of it it's like we're you know what are we trying to accomplish here we're trying to make you know a better city more accessible you know economic whatever you know all this stuff and you know, this is where transit fits into the picture. You know, having, you know, what does safer roads and bridges mean, and like having, you know, right. better fewer potholes or whatever. That doesn't mean not have anything to do with it. What? Yeah. What does it mean? Is is the the big question. So, um, I. <laughs> you can't. I mean, we talked about a lot of this last time, so I don't yeah, want to yeah, go down this yeah, and, and, yeah. too much. But what, what else do we want to say about um, you know the, the passing of Mayor Menino and his yeah. and his legacy? Besides, of course, it being obviously very sad, and I think a lot of us. Probably took a lot of comfort from his his years as being mayor. Yeah. Parking. I want to keep. I'm going to, I'm going to keep saying parking. We, if we want to continue his legacy, we uh, BTD needs to to um, hunker down and actually work out a legitimate parking management strategy based on the the, the pilot program that they have in the Seaport District and turn that into something that we can do across the city so that way parking isn't a divisive issue on every single conversation that we have about every project. What did we, Menino do? I don't, I don't remember this. Um, he, I believe he was the, one of the people, uh, I believe he actually passed the parking, uh, instituting parking caps um, across the city, but that was also part of an EPA requirement. Um, and also, um, uh, well, so the parking freeze, and then there was the, I guess, resident parking. He had a, he had a big, he, he had a big um, push for so um, huge involvement in that. And push for um, more more resident parking. Or? Oh no, actually reserving resident parking, like giving like permits, per- permits yeah, oh, for okay. residential for like you're a neighbor, you're uh, you okay. live in this neighborhood, you have a permit to park in okay. on these streets. I think that gets back to his his uh, ability yeah. to relate to the neighborhoods and right. to give the neighborhoods what they right. want. Because the, the core the core concern is. I have a car, so I need to make sure that I can park it on the street without having to worry about some other Joe Schmo coming out of the neighborhood and just, like, spilling into my neighborhood to use my my spot. Uh, that's not to say, I mean, that's another conversation about personal ownership of, you know, well, city you, property. But <laughs> I mean, my thing is, Matt, you, you know, it's been your, your rereading your piece about it, the induced demand again, you know, and it's like, right. what, do we want to, do we want to... Follow into that, but once you have that program, it's easier to start saying. Well, because actually, parking uh, car ownership has reduced. I believe it's sixteen uh, percent over the last. There's a number that's been throwing around in Boston. In Boston, um, parking registrations huh. have reduced. That isn't to say that people aren't registering the cars out of state, but um, you know that number is probably significantly less than the number of cars that 
are no longer registered in Boston. So we've had a decrease in car ownership overall, even as Boston has grown in the past decade. So um, I think with that, it's it's going to be easier to say, okay, we're going to reduce you know the the permits that we give out every single year by this much because I think right now it's a free for all. You. You you say that you're a resident and you get a you get a permit. So it's it's not really a one to one, you know, permit of okay there are this many streets uh, there are this many spaces on Newbury Street. You know, we will only allocate this many space. This we will only allocate this many uh, permits. So, but I'm sorry, you were going to uh, <laughs> lead us into induced demand. Um, sure. Um, are you ready? Let me throw it on you. <laughs> That's all right. I think it did. Goes well because you know. So yeah, right now now we're moving into more of our discussion uh, with our guest, you know, Matt Danish, and, and the first thing we were, that Jeremy was had kind of plugged for us to you know have Matt talk to us about was his theory of, of induced demand. Well, it's not my theory. <laughs> the theory of induced demand. Oh, I'm disappointed now. <laughs> uh, no, so it, well, I, one of the points I, I have made is that um, we talk about things like induced demand, which I guess I should define really quickly. It's that if you increase the supply of something like a road, roadway, then you'll get more use of more people trying to use it, uh, more demand, so to speak. If you don't change the price. Right, if you don't change the price. And so uh, we see that quite commonly when new highway capacity is opened to downtowns in America, where just new drivers suddenly show up and take advantage of that capacity and then it fills up and moves as slowly as ever or even more slowly in some cases. Uh, this is a phenomenon that's been noticed for decades. I mean, I think there there are citations to it back from the 1930s mm-hmm. even when Robert Moses had started to open up uh, the parkways in, in New York City area. And people noted that they became just as miserable in a month as everything had been before. And it's possible. I've even read citations from the 19th century with regard to other things, too. So this is not just something that's restricted to to automobiles. But uh, So one thing about induced demand, though, is that it requires a source of demand. And so when we talk, we often talk about highways to downtown Boston, I I think it's quite clear that there's plenty of people out there who would fill up that highway space if it were made available at any point. Uh, but to, when you're talking about maybe more specific local routes, which is, and this is a point I made in the post, you can actually satisfy all the demand. So, for example, on my street, uh, with regard to the, the parking, there is um, resident permit parking, and over the years, more and more spaces have started to open up to the point where it's virtually half empty all the time. So it's a function of both of fewer people having cars and the fact that it's resident permit parking restricts the uh, pool of people who can park uh, means that, uh, honestly, you, c- you can actually satisfy the demand. And uh, in other parts of my neighborhood where they don't have the restrictions, it gets filled up by people from Brookline and Cambridge and other places who are just taking advantage of the city. Um, and then if you look at streets like Commonwealth Avenue in Alston, the traffic volumes are extremely low. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like 12,000 according to AADT, according to Mass DOT's numbers, which is less than Harvard Avenue. You're, are you speaking to mode share now? Uh, no, I'm talking about um, the number of vehicles, uh, motor vehicles traveling on Commonwealth Avenue. It's, it's actually a very small number uh, compared to what the, the road is, which is a six-lane boulevard. 
and, and the, whereas the travel one could easily be handled by a two-lane road with no problem. And the reason for that is simply because Commonwealth Avenue there is just not useful as a through route. So all the, the demand is restricted to people who live or are going to somewhere along the street. And therefore, and, and most of those people actually don't have cars. By census numbers, you can see that most of the people who live along Commonwealth Avenue are using the T, the Green Line especially, uh, and uh, biking. And therefore, Commonwealth Avenue is just not inducing a lot of demand. So it's important to be to be careful when you use the, the concept of induced demand because you don't want to you want to make sure that you, you actually have a source for all that demand. Well, could and we, a destination. So it sounds like you're saying paradoxically that, that we, we we all I think pretty much understand the theory of induced demand. But you're saying that you're in Commonwealth Avenue. We're seeing where the demand is not actually being induced because there simply isn't that much demand in the first place. For uh, motor vehicle travel. There's plenty of demand. For of the people transit. who live proximate to right. that street, to Commonwealth Avenue, there's not enough of them that have the cars and need to get places where they need to use cars. Right. And they don't, they, there's not just, there's just not that much driving on Commonwealth compared to, and so actually this will be hopefully, uh, and it's kind of another point actually, hopefully leading into a reconstruction of that section of Commonwealth Avenue that is much more oriented towards people. It'll be a much nicer public space. The green line will be vastly improved. There'll be cycle tracks. I'm talking right now about the part between Packard's Corner and Warren Street. Phase two A is what it's the, being called. Yeah. No, this is phase three. Oh, this is phase three. Oh, okay. So oh, I'm okay. jumping ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I just want to bring that up because on Monday, November 17th, there will be a public, the first public meeting about design at the Brighton Marine uh, Center on Warren Street. And so if you're interested in that, I highly advise going. Uh, the little previews that I got so far are very encouraging, and it appears that the city really wants to do something very nice for Alston, for the public space, for the public realm. Mm. Yes. Now, why is this? I mean, it sounds like something different than what we're hearing about the previous phase, which is right. Yeah, phase two A is another yeah. story. So phase two A is the section of Commonwealth Avenue between um, the BU Bridge and Packard's Corner, not inclusive or more formally between Amory and Alcorn Streets. And so this section of Commonwealth Avenue does see a significant amount of traffic coming from Brighton Avenue. And so there's a lot more pressure coming from the motor vehicles there. It's also a lot smaller than the other section of Commonwealth Avenue, and that's because historically it actually wasn't Commonwealth Avenue. Uh, this section of Commonwealth Avenue was built in the mid-1850s, and it was part of the original uh, kind of North Beacon Street, as it was called back then. And that was later converted into Commonwealth Avenue when it was extended up the hill, um, but in the curvy part. So this section has much different characteristics, and right now we're fighting to, to have uh, improvements made. I know you wanted to talk about um, the Green Line improvements, which are very important. Uh, there, we're, we're, we would also like to see uh, cycle tracks installed here because this is one of the uh, I think it may be the, the worst section of the city for cyclists in terms because there's a lot of them, and yet there's also a high number of injuries and, uh, unfortunately, fatalities. And so we feel that this is a, a prime section for, for conversion to cycle track because it would help the most. Phase 2A is? That is phase 2A, phase two yes. Two. Between BU Bridge and Packard's Corner. And Packard's Corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, props again to uh, to Senator uh, Brownsberger for for doing such a great job of not only facilitating uh, these discussions about um, 
about the Green Line improvements and the, the Commonwealth Avenue uh, phases, but also um, also being a, a very, very strong advocate for his constituents in the neighborhood. Um, so let, we're, we're hoping for the best, and we're going to keep advocating for uh, for better infrastructure and perhaps inducing more cyclist demand with um, with a proper cycle track. Can I can I can I take a advantage of the sort of the breaking conversation? I want to ask a really dumb question, you know, from from an amateur here, total amateur. A lot of times I read about um, parking issues and driving issues related to development, and people are getting upset about is there going to be enough parking? Um, it's already too congested, and I'll hear stats thrown around about the number of people, the percentage of the population in that area that has access to a vehicle. And it always, it, I don't understand that terminology because I think, well, who doesn't have access to a vehicle? If you don't own a vehicle, you can get Zipcar, you know, you can rent a car. Um, is that, is, when I hear that terminology, access to a vehicle, is that the correct terminology? Is there something <laughs> that should be used better? Is, is that some sort of code? Does it mean something that I'm not catching on to? Because I'm, all, I'm just always thinking, well, who doesn't have access to a car? I think that's actually a very good question, and you should ask the Census Bureau yes. exactly what they mean, because that's where it comes from. Okay. It and, comes from the Census Bureau. That's what where they're measuring. I okay. think what they're measuring, now that you've raised this question, actually, I'm starting to question uh-huh. it, but whether they asked this question well in the American Community Survey, but it comes is. from uh, asking, I, I think it's meant to, to say that in your household, does somebody own a vehicle? And so if you're... Okay. Uh, a, if you're the spouse of a person who owns a vehicle, hmm. if you're the child of a person who owns a vehicle, you have access to their vehicle. I guess I've answered that wrong all the time because I am, I am as, I've been a Zipcar <coughs> member for as long as I've been able to fill out the census, and I've always said that I have a car. I have access to a car because... Well, I think Zipcar <laughs> Zip Zip yeah. has turned the, the stat on its head to an yeah. extent, and I've wondered, is that stat... like is probably we're looking at maybe 2010 census. Even since then, maybe... Well, Those numbers American, might not make sense anymore. The American Community Survey is, is, annual, is something like annually updated. Yeah. So the, it, it's, a, it's a, an ongoing effort, uh, and they use statistical methods to fill in the gaps. But, uh, yeah, I, that, that is actually very interesting that you yeah. say that. I hadn't thought of that. Because, so. yeah, I might be skewing the <laughs> statistics. Well, there is, it is yeah. skewed already because since if uh, one car can count for, you know, four people, for instance, right. fact, you know, maybe a household has four people, or maybe your roommate has a car and you count that. Or maybe it's a zip car membership. That or they maybe it's a <laughs> so, That everybody so shares. Nobody does that. I tend to find that if it says 50% access to a car, it probably means there's a lot fewer cars. Right. Okay. Well, the other, the other aspect of that is how this is used. You know, what is this, you know, where, where are we seeing this? this well, when I, when I think... The times when I've seen it that I've really wanted to incisively know exactly what's being discussed was most recently when they were talking about a lot of developments by North Station. And it was being thrown around, well, there's a, a certain number of percentage of the um, population there doesn't even have access to a car. So this is transit located. We don't need to have as many parking spots as what the zoning is. You know, discussions like that. And then they'll talk about, well, different parts of the city. Um, let's break it down and we say in Brighton, uh, you know, many more people have access to a vehicle and so they, it, it comes into policy discussions, and so I think whenever I'm reading about this, I'm thinking, well, if we're making policy decisions based on these stats, we need to know exactly what's, what that means, access to a vehicle. So I'd like to see the, the language cleaned up, and I'm glad to hear that it wasn't just a stupid question that I asked. Maybe there is some, some ambiguity around this. I, I've, always been, I've always been a, uh, I mean, maybe, per, maybe more personally because I am a Zipcar member, and I very much identified not only with the company's mission but also what it has enabled me to do over the past five years free advertising for you Zipcar um, is the fact that um, yeah, show us the money Zipcar <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, we'd love to have you as a sponsor. Uh, so, but so one of the big things is that I feel like car sharing services. And um, I mean, the data is the, the data is kind of sort of in on it. There, there's been studies that show that Zipcar can reduce car ownership in a neighborhood by as much as seventy five percent. And I feel like that is not weighed well enough in conversations about development and all that sort of stuff. Like there was that failed development that was going to bring, I think, 44 units over to uh, Union Square over in Alston, and the neighborhood voted it down as as quickly as they could because, I mean, who's gonna who's gonna use seven zip? I mean, who would I move to a neighborhood? That, that's, un, like that? that's unfair because I would say I knew many people in the neighborhood who, who did not vote that down. It was a, a few. Very well, strong. Very vocal, <laughs> very vocal people. Sorry. So yes. there are other issues with, the, with that yeah. particular development. He didn't have the land under control. Ah, okay. And so gotcha. I'm glad that he, he's a very interesting person, Sebastian, and I, I see he's got something near Roxbury Crossing going. Good. Yes, I, I did see I that. Do, I do wish him the best. Yes. <laughs> Mark, can I ask, have you used the new Zipcar one way? Yes, Zipcar one way is nice. I don't think it's revolutionary. Um, I would probably not be using it as much. But and I mean, I thought that it would be great because they've been polling that for I think as long as I've been a Zipcar member. Um, but uh, it's um, but it, I, exists, it exists in other cities as well. Yes. Car to go. Well, car exactly, and I'm wondering if it's going right. to be enough to keep car car to go out of Boston. I I I don't. Maybe maybe it will. Uh, the the problem is unlike Uber, you have to go to the car as opposed to the car coming to you. Um, so, but in that sense, like you know, I'm a Zipcar member anyway, and I'm going to be spending. I'm you know, I might as well uh, if I'm if if the Zipcar is like across the street from my office, and I just want to get home without. Uh, mucking about, then yeah, you know, I'll take a you know zip card, but I'm not going to do it all the time. Like it's, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Pause for one second. Right, right go. Okay, yeah. So, um, sorry, the uh, the green line uh, extension uh, stuff that's going on. Well, also folding that into the the larger conversation about Commonwealth Avenue, the stock consolidation that's happening in the uh, the Phase Two A area up to um, oh, yeah. uh, Packard's Corner and all that sort of fun so we'll, stuff. We'll start with talking yeah. about stock consolidation and things along the two A Phase Two A of Commonwealth with the Green Line, and then we can move into our Green Line extension discussion. Yeah, I'm very I'm very glad to see that the MBTA has it has decided to consolidate uh, those stations. I, everybody I talk to pretty much says that it's ridiculous. That there's four stations within half a mile. That, so they're parked, they're separated by about 700. Can we clarify which stations we're so talking about? We're talking about BU West going from east to west. BU West, St. Paul Street, Pleasant Street, and Babcock Street. And what the MBTA has decided is that the only way to make accessible stations, which is absolutely critical, of course, is to combine um, the stations in pairs and, and kind of split the difference. So the new stations will be between. BU West and St. Paul, so between Amory and St. Paul Streets, and the other one will be between Pleasant Street and Babcock Street. And so there'll be mid-block stations, which is unusual for the MBT. They will be they will be halfway between the intersections, but the idea is that then it will ramp up and the stations will be much larger, much more well-appointed and accessible, of course. And then the trains will stop in the mid-block. And I asked about this, and they said that it was possible for this to work with transit signal priority, yes. which was very critical, I feel. Unfortunately, they have not done enough thinking on transit signal priority. At least when they, we asked them questions, they seemed to be very hesitant about it. I, I, they've been thinking about it for years, right? I mean, I, I get confused when, well, when we hear things like at, that. At the last Green Line 
update meeting um, before this last one where they announced stock consolidation. It sounded like they were very close to that because the AVL system, uh, the automated vehicle uh, location system, was really going to bring that closer because then the, uh, once the MBTA computers know where the Green Line trains are, then it can talk directly to the BTD tra uh, transportation computer that ha ha handles the lights and says, oh, a Green Line train is coming, hold the green or make the red light sl uh, shorter. Um, but, yeah, it, it seemed like at the last meeting, the, you know, I guess the, it was a different set of people there, so they didn't feel like they could speak too well on, on what's going on with AVL. Because I did ask that at the end of the meeting, and they seemed to be adamant that that's another group, and I can say that it's moving along, but blah, blah, blah. I mean, the AVL, of course, is something we should have had years ago, but right. it only updates once a minute. And so I actually find it kind of a curious way to go about implementing transit signal priority, a little bit um, Rube Goldberg, because... In the standard way to do it is just to have a trolley detector, and that's been used for decades. Right. And I don't <laughs> the see... The trolley detector, is this something embedded in the track itself? Yeah, it would be embedded under the ground, or you can also do it with cameras and then rec you know, visual recognition of the trolleys. Yeah. And, Which I believe is what uh, Brookline had put on their traffic signals. It's that possible. Could, could I don't remember often. I, I do that. know that the, the plans for Commonwealth Avenue Phase 1, which was were done about eight years ago, they included that... Um, schematics for trolley detectors, which I presume were never installed, but uh, it was, it's, on the, it's on the schematics, which is kind of funny. We could find out if they're there. I know they're, they have them in the central subway, the, the old version of them, which are just, walk just like a white box, yeah. basically. It's just yep. like the train passes over it, and it, you know, Ding, ding, ding. Oh, it's like, yeah, so just... So it's <coughs> like, theoretically, if you, they, they always say they don't have enough, you know, they don't have real-time tracking, like, the, you know, they, they know certain things. They know that, like, there's a train between, like, Copley and Hines, or something like that, you know? But it's a, theoretically, if you put enough of them, then you could follow all the trains. But they've said they've told us that they can't just do that because you need to install fiber optic cables all yeah, the way out. Yeah, it's expensive, and that's so. Okay, fine. But um, and fiber optic is coming to the station, which is part of the, the eight million dollars. Well, that will be part. Of, the phase two A is gives them an opportunity to actually redo the whole right of way, which right. is great. They should do these things together at the same time. Unfortunately, the current plan is to do them. Uh, one after the other. So I believe the TIA said they're going to wait for the city to rebuild the street before they rebuild the stations, and that creates a problem because they have to preserve the old stations while they rebuild the street and then get rid of them, which seems, first of all, redundant, and second of all, it, it eliminates the possibility of reusing that space for something better. And since we're already arguing over inches for the cycle track, I feel that it, that might be a mistake. We really should be rebuilding everything at the same time so that they can really uh, reallocate the space in the best way possible. And then going back to uh, efficiencies that I'm sure the governor would love to highlight, uh, the sooner that things get done, like what we're doing with Government Center, uh, the more efficient our uh, transportation system can be and the more uh, efficiency we can eke out of that, which seems to be a major thing that he repeats over and over and over again in his uh, uh, trans uh, transportation position answer sheet that he gave to, uh, uh, I guess his office gave to um, uh, transportation for T, uh, T for M T for MA. Right. So. Yes. Are you speaking to the governor-elect at this yes, point? Yes, the governor-elect, right. yes. Okay. And, and Matt, the one question I had was with, with mid-block stops um, placement, what were they going to do about um, pedestrians crossing the street to, to get, right. get on the train? So thankfully, um, it's required by law to have at least two egresses to every station. And as a result, we didn't have to fight that battle. 
Uh, I still don't know why BU Central was constructed with a single egress. That's a question for later. <laughs> but uh, so the, one of the reasons why they did it this way is so that they could have uh, an egress on either side of the station. And I've been pushing for a while now the idea that you should be able to access stations very easily from any direction, that uh, the travel to from your, you know, wherever you're coming from to the station is just as much part of the transit trip as riding on the train. And so is the trip from the destination station to wherever you're going. And so uh, the T in the past has kind of taken the more hands-off approach here. Actually, more of the old-fashioned approach was simply to have the train stop in the middle of the street and people just got on and off because that's how things were done in the 19th century. And uh, so now they don't want to do that. Instead, now they want to put up a, a wall and more fences around the stations. And while I do I, I understand that they want to protect people from, from cars that might go out of control, I think the problem here is that the cars are going too fast in the first place. And all the fences and all the barriers are only going to goad drivers into going faster. And so I'm a little worried that when the city comes together with the T and they want to put up all these fences and the city wants to build 11-foot lanes, that what we're doing is we're actually building kind of a highway where pedestrians have to cross in these small crosswalks and go a little bit out of their way, hopefully not as much out of the way as they do today, but uh, and we'll just make Commonwealth Avenue more dangerous in the end. That's more my concern than, than, and, you know, than the issue of... Um, my concern is, is more is the issue of people wanting to go. Like you have some great pictures when you had that comment post on Transit mm -hmm. Matters. You have some great pictures of people just walking across. There's like Shaw's this this the, over there. People the Naples, that's the the Naples Road. Road. Right. And then yeah. you look at how you legally cross, and you have to walk like you know 800 feet and go across. And like then the Naples time. Road crossing is also not a station related issue, but there should be a crosswalk at Naples and Alcorn mm -hmm. Street. Naples Road to Alcorn Street because there's a star market there, major supermarket, and there's a big residential neighborhood that's densely populated on the other side of the street, on the other side of the tracks. And as we can see, you can for see decades, people will cross there because it yeah. makes the most sense. Otherwise, you have to cross 11 lanes of traffic and go, I don't know, it's maybe even 1,000 feet out of your way. And you're not going to do that with heavy groceries. It's simply not going to happen. Yeah. And the Commonwealth Avenue does not have enough crosswalks. It's the blocks are 700 to 750 feet long. Most uh, guides, including the Boston Complete Streets guides, recommend in a business district that you don't go more than 300 or 350 feet without a crosswalk. Right. And so, if Commonwealth Avenue is going to evolve into a more, as they like to say, a livable street, then it needs more cross crossings. Yeah. I don't, so that, I don't that's think the that's, unresolved issue is where, where the crossings will be and will there be enough of them for these new stations. So the stations will, will extend to the crosswalks that currently exist, which means that you will you may have to walk from the end of the block to the midpoint of the block in order to access the train. Kind of like the stop out here for uh, uh, we're actually at Northeastern University and um, the, the stop out here um, is a full block. And, uh, but they do put a yeah. mid-block crosswalk, which is interesting. That's that's which true. Yes, it's actually kind of more dangerous than you know because it's, it's right at the Huntington entrance of the tunnel. Speedway. Huntington Avenue has a whole oh, yeah. set of its own issues. Yeah. It needs to have a lane dropped on each side. Okay. I mean, it's unbelievable how it is currently configured. There's never any tr like heavy congestion. If there were, people wouldn't be going so fast. The congestion is always at the at the far end where it gets ridiculous. And it has <laughs> three foot sidewalks. I don't want to get sidetracked too much, <laughs> but there are literally three foot sidewalks. Sidewalks on Huntington Avenue—it's practically a war crime. Oh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and 
But that's the this issue is all over, and this is just you know Kamev being being one example, of, a very high profile example of you know trying to get it right. And uh, how, I'm curious how the city has responded since they've they've come out and pretty much ignoring their complete streets guidelines, and you know they've gotten a lot of pushback and some media. The have come. they said anything? They they um what was it uh, was it Galuli who I think he took a bike ride with um. Uh, with Liv- Jackie, and Jack- yes. yeah, Jackie, uh, Jackie Frank Douglas Douglas from uh, Livable Streets and uh, down Commonwealth Avenue, and I think that was about it. So, and they have, and they, uh, the city uh, city representative was at the last meeting, and he was taking that stuff back to the city, but he was he's not representing um, BDT, so BDT has not been present at these meetings because I guess uh, it's not this these these Green Line update meetings haven't been germane to their. Uh, that's what I guess I'm Very curious about is there's been a lot of a lot of effort on Com Ave and I, I just hope it's not gonna be just all for nothing. Um, I'm glad that the agree that the uh, maybe I guess two throwing two points out here and you know, obviously um, you can <laughs> respond. Um, I I'm just thinking also with the stop consolidation, like I'm glad I'm always glad to see the T doing stop consolidation. I I still don't really get the feeling that they are really interested in this. I get the feeling that they're it's kind of like, well, you know, we have to make it accessible, and so, you know, it'll be cheaper to just build two than build four, and it's like, you know, it's not really motivated by we're going to make this thing go a little faster. Um, I don't know if that's your take. And Well, actually, I think some of the, anal- the analysis done by the technical staff there has been very good. Um, I know Melissa, who spoke at the meeting, she's beyond the mathematics on it, which I, I do appreciate. I think that's great that she's actually trying to, to minimize the person uh, minutes spent. Uh, and so... Uh, Stop showing that with a mathematical analysis is something that T has done, and that's very good. And um, I don't know if that was the deciding factor. Certainly, accessibility is a huge issue. But yeah, the more the better. And uh, so I, I would maybe in the past they they weren't thinking about this stuff, but I have no idea what went on beyond closed doors. But they, I think they are now. I think I think uh, it goes back to how um, I mentioned last uh, last podcast that it was. Eight million dollars scrubbed, like scrounged up from the accessibility budget that would have otherwise gone to other projects that just weren't ready for go time, um, and so that kind of speaks. Even I, I wish I wish the T would change the way that they do their presentations. Say this is what we would love to have done, but this is what we could afford. Um, but uh, so then, because then that would speak more to this is our vision, um, but this is what we can afford. And then, and then that gets the conversation going in a different, different direction than, Oh, this is all you're going to give us kind of thing. So, um, that's, I I think they, they seem genuine. Um, but I think (laughs) as somebody who's worked at the T, you can probably speak more to, uh, the mannerisms of folks, but they, the, you know, the, the, the AGM, the assistant general manager was, was there. Um, he, he, he spoke very highly of, we would love for the trains to just whiz through and and you know transit signal priority, but um, we have we have limited money and this is unfortunately all we can eat out of it. Can I ask a dumb question? I see you have a bunch of questions that you want to get to. Um, just real quick, um, the the um, cost. If they're going to build, if Kamehameha is being torn up, rebuilt, and they're saying, oh, we got to do it later because you know we can't afford to do it at the same time or whatever. If the thing is being rebuilt, then like, wouldn't the cost essentially be zero? Like, what am I? Why is this eight million dollars? Oh, it's eight million dollars for the station construction portion, for the MBTA's portion. 
it's eight million dollars. Don't they have to rebuild the old stations first before, and then? I don't think they're re- the, the city the wouldn't touch the, the inner yeah. portion. Oh, okay. So the city's not touching. Actually, the it's MassDOT that's going to do the construction. Right. The right. city's just producing the plan. Okay. We've seen that in Phase Five, which was actually done first. Okay. <laughs> and where is Phase Five? Phase Five is uh, the outermost part, going to the city limits. And so, uh, if you've been out there on the Green Line, on the B Line, you know that those stations are abysmal. Mm-hmm. They're literally two feet wide. Yep. <laughs> you better be skinny. You're gonna, well, you, you sit on the concrete. You better not have a backpack at least. You know. <laughs> People sit so, on that concrete barrier. Yeah, there's yeah, like yeah. traffic going 50 miles an hour, like inches from them. So that was done in an era when, of course, the big thing was to make cars go faster and yeah. faster and faster, and they decided to avoid the whole accessibility issue by not touching the MBTA reservation at all. And so that's why the stations look like they're from the 1930s, whereas the new the road looks like it's, you know, 1999 or so. Yeah, uh, yeah, because um, the station. Yeah, I, I used to live out um, at Cleveland Circle, not Cleveland Circle, all the way. At, yeah, Cleveland Circle. Yeah. Um, I used to live all the way out in Cleveland Circle, and um, I I much preferred. Like there were times where I was just like, yeah, we'll we'll take the B line just for the fun of it. Um, yeah, the, the station that's closest to me was. Um, that was a that was an interesting trip. Every single time, I uh, I just want to say, if there's anybody else out there who just takes the B line just for the fun of it, then we want to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to just to to get the to get the everyman's perspective. So yeah, because um, uh, yeah. we'll meet you on the B line just for the fun of it. Right. <laughs> um, but so I, I guess we should start wrapping up here. Um, fortunately, we left a slate the green line extension for a later time. There's plenty of news about that. Um, uh, as far as so considering the fact that there are a lot of things going on um, we definitely are hearing some tweets from people who are really interested in um, getting together a more formal transit advocacy group I mean we do have uh, as we've talked about before you know that we've got some really great transit advocacy groups out there already but we don't have many for um, the everyday uh, uh, rider um, and we really would love to grow this so uh, we will be posting, I guess, and organizing an upcoming meeting. Um, I had mentioned through Twitter, through my Twitter account, that maybe we'd like to big, piggyback onto um, Senator Brownsberger's next office hours, which I believe will be next week or something like that, next Tuesday. Um, we'll will we th- ask him about this. We'll 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 be reaching out to him to <laughs> okay. to, to see because that would be uh, that would be it's going to be at, a, at the Starbucks on uh, Commonwealth Avenue. So uh, well, not on Commonwealth. I'm sorry, on uh, on Boylston Street uh, in the back base. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens. We'll uh, reach out to uh, to his office. I'm sure he'll be more than happy to meet with other transit advocates, and we can all have a coffee. Maybe go out to uh, to a bar later after that. Um, and then also uh, later service on the 70A uh, amateur planner will be posting and he will be on the show soon so stay tuned for that well he, he I, I might have I might have uh, made my word a little unclear there he um, has a great post that oh he, he does have on. a post sorry um, yeah he's a, he put up a great post on is it amateur planner dot the blog spot thank you Matt um and he has a great post on, on the 70 and 70A and the, the many issues with it, and it gets into the whole you know bus service design and management and everything, and that's will be a great conversation that we're going to have to spend the whole show on, and I'm trying to get him on the show soon. Oh, yes. Okay, then. <laughs> so, sorry about that. <laughs> Overpromising. Here we go. Um, but, yeah, somebody had written in, uh, I think somebody had tweeted either at me or I saw it, um, saying that, that he should run 70A later. 
And, uh, you know, immediately I thought, oh, here we go again, 70A, <laughs> because I've, you know, this is sort of close to my heart because I spent a lot of time working with the 70A and I've taken it. And that's a whole, the whole big, uh, big thing, but good stuff to talk about. Hey, it's me, Jeremy here. Just a quick technical note, uh, because of some technical issues, um, the podcast has not been uploaded before some of the events that uh, we might have talked about. So um, check the dates, and uh, sorry for the delay here. Um, but a lot of these things happen monthly, or we'll be having follow-up meetings. So, uh, you know, just check the websites and things like that. Um, and then as far as on upcoming and ongoing events, um, the Cambridge Transit Advocacy Committee uh, slash plan is a monthly meeting. Uh, when is the next meeting that you... Yeah, went? the last meeting was November 5th. I wasn't able to go, um, but I'm, I'm sort of interested to see what the city is coming up with here. Um, I think a lot of people in the city of Cambridge are sort of uh, frustrated on the one hand with uh, the lack of progress that's being made for transit, and on the other hand, it's I don't see them putting a lot forward, so... Um, sort of not really sure what's what's happening with that, um, but they are talking about just generally trying to make transit better and everything from you know wayfinding to better service. Right. Next one I don't see on their website unfortunately, but I'm sure we can find that out yeah. very easily from through our connections there with uh, Livable Streets um, and other folks there. Um, and then uh, the uh, no on November 14th is the Boston Bike Party. Have you been to this? Has anybody, has anybody, I know Matt's been there. Matt and I have been there. I am not. Matt, do you want to talk about the bike party? <laughs> I'm not an expert on it at all. You're not an expert about it? I, it was fun, right? I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was a fun, fun bike ride. Yeah, it is. Okay, so you should go to it. There were like, uh, last time we went, were there like 400 people? Yep, bostonbikeparty.com. Not the Halloween, uh, the one uh, before that I went. Oh, I didn't so. go to that one. Yeah, the so one before that, there were a lot of people. And um, yeah, it took us like 45 minutes to cross the railroad tracks at one point. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have to walk it across. Right. Yeah. So right off of their website, um, the, uh, the their launch pad, quote-unquote, will be uh, Copley Square. Um, and the uh, that will be, again, this November 14th, which it turns out is this Friday. Uh, meet up, meet at Copley Square. Oh, I've... I've always wondered what those meetings at Copley Square were for. Uh, <laughs> uh, for uh, meet there at 7.30 uh, in the evening, and then everybody will be taking off at 8 p.m., so I guess you can try to find a bunch of cyclists trying to bike calmly um, and non-confrontationally with other um, with other road users, <laughs> hopefully. It went very well. I mean, it's, you know, it, it sort of reminded me, the feel of the ride reminded me exactly of why I loved Critical Mass back in the day when it existed. I don't think it does anymore. Um, it reminded me pretty much exactly the same thing. You know, you get like a couple hundred people just taking up the whole road and just having fun, but it was just a much more fun atmosphere. It wasn't like, I didn't really see people like giving the finger and like you mm. know, throwing stuff and, mm. and you know, <laughs> there's none of that. So. Right. And then, come. Uh, and then um, there was also the what was it the phase three meeting that's going to be coming up soon. What was when when was the date for that? Uh, November Monday, November seventeenth. November seventeenth. So next Monday. Yeah, and it's at the Brighton Marine. Um, I believe it's a health center. It's up on the hill at Warren Street, just off Com Ave. And you, I think you have to like go up and knock, and maybe ask at the front desk. It's a little bit of a complex. Because <laughs> um, like a code word? You have to <laughs> hopefully there'll be signs. And it's going to be about the phase three and four of Commonwealth Avenue, which is from Packard's Corner to Warren slash Kelton Street. Basically, this is the art of con- uh, part of the green line that's on the north side of Commonwealth Avenue. And 
so far, it looks like the city has some grand plans, or grand concepts at least, for creating a cycle track, uh, for creating some public space, actual like uh, a place for people to gather and maybe even make a kind of a, a square for, for, for Harvard and Com, which right now is a very busy uh, pedestrian and bicyclist intersection and transit user intersection that is basically not really... It doesn't have any particular uh, special uh, place around it, mm. like maybe Copley Square would be a special place. So it would be very interesting to see if they can involve some public art and uh, and just make it overall a better place for people on foot and on bike. So actually, also, it looks like there's a mass dot meeting for the Back Bay Ramps Transportation oh, Study yeah. again, mm-hmm. which will be the next day at the BPL, uh, the central uh, the central branch of the Boston Public Library, uh, that will be taking place from 7 o'clock in the evening to 8.30 that evening. Again, um, at the BPL, if you go to the front desk, I'm sure you'll be able to find out where, because the main space is under construction as part of the BP- BPL Central Library project. Um... So, there's that fun, um, and unfortunately I can't find the uh, notice for the uh, Phase 3 a, uh, phase three and Phase 4, um, but I'll, I'll, I can send you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can, uh, people can, actually, I was going to mention that I was thinking that, you know, I should put a, put a calendar together for this, and then I thought that Livable Streets has a calendar that I think has all these things on it, so right. we should plug that. Um, all right, anything else that we want to say and wrapping up before we... Uh, what was on the What was on the next page? Oh, there's nothing. I'm, yeah, this is. I, I put this on here. I don't know how many people will be um, interested in it, but it sounds like it could be interesting. Um, Boston Bikes is hosting a, a screening of a documentary called Half the Road, and it's uh, which is, from what I understand, a film about uh, pro cycling, and it gets at themes of gender inequity, um, which I could be interesting. So, um, I mean, I'm sure you've noticed that like most of the people biking out there are men. So, um, <laughs> no big shocker there. So, um, but that, that could be interesting, and it might not. Oh, wow. Yeah, actually, we're going to plug that Livable Streets uh, calendar, and we're going to actually put a link in the si- in our sidebar, because um, there's a few interesting things going on, right? The South, South Station Expansion Public Meeting, which overlaps the I-90 ramps and, ba- uh, and Bowker overpass study. So you'll have to decide which public, me- which exciting public meeting you want to attend. Uh, maybe you want to go to the South Station Expansion public, uh, public meeting first and then, you know, switch over to the <laughs> Bowker overpass study meeting. I think it almost makes me want to have a show on public meetings and about how public meetings are just, like, awful and you've got some other way of doing this. Oh, but of course. And I As think, we're encouraging you to attend. Yeah, yeah right. Well, one of, one of the things that I would really like to start doing, if maybe not for my own health, but also the <laughs> the benefit of everybody else, but actually, um, you know, filming them for, for, uh, for the benefit of our viewers if, if nobody else is doing that, so... Um, no, it's a, it's pretty. It's a monumental task, obviously. Yeah. But you know, we'll uh, when when I do go to that when I go, do go to the next meeting on Monday, I will try to film what I can, and then we'll try to put that up on our YouTube channel, which actually is now, I believe, also Transit Matters. We have a YouTube channel. Yes, we do have a YouTube wow. channel. Right. So, um, videos. Yep, there's a. I'm going to be updating a video actually of um, of slippery rail and what and and what it looks like when the wheel is just 
spinning and nice. and you know what why why i have an idea a for a thing. youtube uh, video i'm not going to share it yet i'm going to does slippery rail exist in in other countries that train oh, where the trains run on time yeah. i mean that is um it, it's it's factored into the schedules every autumn for every transit agency in in, in every temperate climate wherever there's leaves on the ground because there's only so much you can do to clean to scrub the rails of all of the the the, the resin that gets that gets caked onto the tracks from the from the crushed leaves so only so much you can do and the best thing you can do is just live with it uh, I've heard I've had people like suggest what about why don't you run snow blower I mean not snow blowers leaf blowers on the tracks like yeah they that's that's a you know um, what, uh, you know it doesn't have issues with slippery rail buses yeah that's true yep <laughs> well, I'm thinking it's got to be possible to uh, uh, right to still be on time even with the slippery rail. Right. You can technically be on time if you adjust the schedules for having to compensate yeah. for slippery rail. So, which the T has done, and, and commuter rail, and they continue to do on buses. They're actually yes. sort of some would say they're sort of reducing service in this weird way, where they're basically saying it's taking us longer, and so therefore we're going to be honest about the schedules. We're not going to add any buses, so it's going to look like a service reduction, but we're just saying like it's actually taking us longer. Yeah. So I wish they would actually say we're being honest. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think I think actually small things like that really help. Um, this afternoon, the uh, the commuter rail uh, Twitter account apologized to the riders of one train um, who actually had to back into North Station and then unload its passengers and put them onto another train. I don't know what the story, the whole story was with that, but it's it's a nice gesture that you know. No agency is beneath apologizing to its writers. I don't know. I, I, well, I don't know if I want to get a whole discussion on customer service. But I think <laughs> it's often overdone. As somebody who, who's come from a transit agency perspective, I feel like it's often overdone, and mm. people complain about all kinds of things. If you and if you if you take the too much feedback to heart, you often wind up. Right. You know, you wind up being in a situation where you're sort of like doing everything to please the customer, right. and it's like it's striking the balance, striking yeah. the balance. Yeah. So, in any case, right. um, that was our show this week. Tune in, I guess, hopefully in two weeks. <laughs> and thank you to Matt uh, yeah. for joining yes. us today. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I hope you'll come I again. Appreciate it. Sure. All right. Cool. And you have a super cool folding bike. Oh, thanks. That's my um, green line alternative. <laughs> <laughs> Phase phase one A of the Green Line. All right, thanks for listening. Uh, you can find us at transitmatters.info and leave us uh, send us feedback at feedback at transitmatters.info. Uh, you can find Mark on Twitter at transitmatters and me on Twitter at critical transit. Uh, Josh, are you found anywhere on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at hatchback thirty one. And. Do you happen to have a Twitter account? Yeah, well, we can follow well, I you. Do. I just have <laughs> yeah. the most awkward name, which I. Didn't realize at the time was a bad idea. But, uh, <laughs> I think you could change that. Walking underscore Boston, and I apologize to anyone who confused me with Walk Boston. I did not know at the time You're what at I was walking, doing. Walkingbostonian.blogspot.com. Okay, we're out of here.